0: section forty one of annual reports to the massachusetts board of education by horace mann this librivox recording is in the public domain tenth annual report eighteen forty six part two if the previous argument began with sound premises and has been logically conducted then it has established this position that a vast portion of the present wealth of the world either consists in or has been immediately derived from those great natural substances and powers of the earth which were bestowed by the creator alike on all mankind or from the discoveries inventions labors and improvements of our ancestors which were alike designed for the common benefit of all their descendants the question now arises at what time is this wealth to be transferred from the preceding to a succeeding generation at what point are the latter to take possession of it, or to derive a benefit from it? Or at what time are the former to surrender it in their behalf? Is each existing generation, and each individual of an existing generation, to hold fast to his possessions until death relaxes his grasp? Or is something of the right to be acknowledged, and something of the benefit to be yielded beforehand? it seems too obvious for argument that the latter is the only alternative if the incoming generation have no rights until the outgoing generation have actually retired then is every individual that enters the world liable to perish on the day he is born according to the very constitution of things each individual must obtain sustenance and succor as soon as his eyes open in quest of light or his lungs gasp for his first breath of air his wants cannot be delayed until he himself can supply them if the demands of his nature are ever to be answered they must be answered years before he can make any personal provision for them either by the performance of any labour or by any exploits of skill the infant must be fed before he can earn his bread he must be clothed before he can prepare garments he must be protected from the elements before he can erect a dwelling and it is just as clear that he must be instructed before he can engage or reward a tutor a course contrary to this would be the destruction of the young that we might rob them of their rightful inheritance carried to its extreme it would be the act of herod seeking in a general massacre the life of one who was supposed to endanger his power here, then, the claims of the succeeding generation, not only upon the affection and care, but upon the property of the preceding one, attach. God having given to the second generation as full and complete a right to the incomes and profits of the world as he has given to the first, and to the third generation as full and complete a right as he has given to the second, and so on while the world stands, it necessarily follows that children must come into a partial and qualified possession of these rights by the paramount law of nature as soon as they are born no human enactment can abolish or countervail this paramount and supreme law and all those positive and often arbitrary enactments of the civil code by which for the encouragement of industry and frugality the possessor of property is permitted to control it for a limited period after his decease must be construed and executed in subservience to this sovereign and irrepealable ordinance of nature nor is this transfer always or even generally to be made in kind but according to the needs of the recipient the recognition of this principle is universal a guardian or trustee may possess lands while the ward or owner under the trust may need money or the former may have money while the latter need raiment or shelter the form of the estate must be exchanged if need be and adapted to the wants of the receiver the claim of a child then to a portion of pre-existent property begins with the first breath he draws the new-born infant must have sustenance and shelter and care if the natural parents are removed or parental ability fails in a word if parents either cannot or will not supply the infant's wants then society at large the government having assumed to itself the ultimate control of all property is bound to step in and fill the parent's place to deny this to any child would be equivalent of a sentence of death a capital execution of the innocent at which every soul shudders it would be a more cruel form of infanticide than any which is practised in china or in africa but to preserve the animal life of a child only and there to stop would be not the bestowment of a blessing or the performance of a duty but the infliction of a fearful curse a child has interests far higher than those of mere physical existence better that the wants of its natural life should be disregarded than that the higher interests of the character should be neglected if a child has any claim to bread to keep him from perishing he has a far higher claim to knowledge to preserve him from error and its fearful retinue of calamities if a child has any claim to shelter to protect him from the destroying elements he has a far higher claim to be rescued from the infamy and perdition of vice and crime all moralists agree nay all moralists maintain that a man is as responsible for his omissions as for his commissions that he is as guilty of the wrong which he could have prevented but did not as for that which his own hand has perpetrated they then who knowingly withhold sustenance from a newborn child and he dies are guilty of infanticide and by the same reasoning they who refuse to enlighten the intellect of the rising generation are guilty of degrading the human race they who refuse to train up children in the way they should go are training up incendiaries and madmen to destroy property and life and to invade and pollute the sanctuaries of society in a word if the mind is as real and substantive a part of human existence as the body then mental attributes during the periods of infancy and childhood demand provision, at least as imperatively as bodily appetites. The time when these respective obligations attach corresponds with the periods when the nurture, whether physical or mental, is needed. As the right of sustenance is of equal date with birth, so the right to intellectual and moral training begins at least as early as when children are ordinarily sent to school. At that time, then, by the irrepealable law of Nature, every child succeeds to so much more of the property of the community as is necessary for his education. He is to receive this, not in the form of lands or of gold and silver, but in the form of knowledge and a training to good habits. This is one of the steps in the transfer of property from the present to the succeeding generation human sagacity may be at fault in fixing the amount of property to be transferred or the time when the transfer should be made to a dollar or to an hour but certainly in a republican government the obligation of the predecessors and the right of the successors extend to and embrace the means of such an amount of education as will prepare each individual to perform all the duties which devolve upon him as a man and a citizen it may go further than this point. Certainly it cannot fall short of it. Under our political organization, the places and the processes where this transfer is to be provided for and its amount determined are the district school meeting, the town meeting, legislative halls, and conventions for establishing and revising the fundamental laws of the state. If it be not done there, society is false to its high trusts, and any community whether national or state that ventures to organize a government or to administer a government already organized without making provision for the free education of all its children dares the certain vengeance of heaven and in the squalid forms of poverty and destitution in the scourges of violence and misrule in the heart-destroying corruptions of licentiousness and debauchery and in political profligacy and legalized perfidy in all the blended and mutually aggravated crimes of civilization and of barbarism will be sure to feel the terrible retributions of its delinquency i bring my argument on this point then to a close and i present a test of its validity which as it seems to me defies denial or evasion in obedience to the laws of god and to the laws of all civilized communities society is bound to protect the natural life of children and this natural life cannot be protected without the appropriation and use of a portion of the property which society possesses we prohibit infanticide under penalty of death we practise a refinement in this particular the life of an infant is inviolable even before he is born, and he who feloniously takes it even before birth is as subject to the extreme penalty of the law as though he had struck down manhood in its vigour, or taken away a mother by violence from the sanctuary of home where she blesses her offspring. But why preserve the natural life of a child? Why preserve unborn embryos of life, if we do not intend to watch over and to protect them and to expand their subsequent existence into usefulness and happiness as individuals or as an organized community we have no natural right we can derive no authority or countenance from reason we can cite no attribute or purpose of the divine nature for giving birth to any human being and then inflicting upon that being the curse of ignorance of poverty and of vice with all their attendant calamities we are brought then to this startling but inevitable alternative the natural life of an infant should be extinguished as soon as it is born or the means should be provided to save that life from being a curse to its possessor and therefore every state is morally bound to enact a code of laws legalizing and enforcing infanticide or a code of laws establishing free schools the three following propositions then describe the broad and ever-during foundation on which the common school system of massachusetts reposes that successive generations of men taken collectively constitute one great commonwealth the property of this commonwealth is pledged for the education of all its youth up to such a point as will save them from poverty and vice and prepare them for the adequate performance of their social and civil duties the successive holders of this property are trustees bound to the faithful execution of their trust by the most sacred obligations and embezzlement and pillage from children and descendants have not less of criminality and have more of meanness than the same offences when perpetrated against contemporaries recognizing these eternal principles of natural ethics the constitution of massachusetts the fundamental law of the state after declaring among other things in the preamble to the first section of the fifth chapter that the encouragement of arts and sciences and all good literature tends to the honor of god the advantage of the christian religion and the great benefit of this and other united states of america then proceeds in the second section of the same chapter to set forth the duties of all future legislators and magistrates in the following noble and impressive language wisdom and knowledge as well as virtue diffused generally among the body of the people being necessary for the preservation of their rights and liberties and as these depend on spreading the opportunities and advantages of education in the various parts of the country and among the different orders of the people it shall be the duty of legislatures and magistrates in all future periods of this commonwealth to cherish the interests of literature and the sciences and all seminaries of them especially the university of cambridge the public schools and grammar schools in the towns and to encourage private societies and public institutions rewards and immunities for the promotion of agriculture arts sciences commerce trade manufactures and a natural history of the country to countenance and inculcate the principles of humanity and general benevolence public and private charity industry and frugality honesty and punctuality in their dealings sincerity good humor and all social affections and generous sentiments among the people see also revised statutes chapter twenty three section seven massachusetts is parental in her government more and more as year after year rolls by she seeks to substitute prevention for remedy and rewards for penalties she strives to make industry the antidote to poverty and to counterwork the progress of vice and crime by the diffusion of knowledge and the culture of virtuous principles she seeks not only to mitigate those great physical and mental calamities of which mankind are the sad inheritors but also to avert those infinitely greater moral calamities which form the disastrous heritage of depraved passions hence it has long been her policy to endow or to aid asylums for the cure of disease she succours and maintains all the poor within her borders whatever may have been the land of their nativity she founds and supports hospitals for restoring reason to the insane and even for those violators of the law whom she is obliged to sequestrate from society she provides daily instruction and the ministrations of the gospel at the public charge to those who in the order of nature and providence have been bereft of the noble faculties of hearing and of speech she teaches a new language and opens their imprisoned minds and hearts to conversation with men and communion with god and it hardly transcends the literal truth to say that she gives sight to the blind for the remnants of those aboriginal tribes who for so many ages roamed over this land without cultivating its soil or elevating themselves in the scale of being her annual bounty provides good schools and when the equal natural and constitutional rights of the outcast children of africa were thought to be invaded she armed her courts of judicature with power to punish the aggressors the public highway is not more open and free for every man in the community than is the public schoolhouse for every child and each parent feels that a free education is as secure a part of the birthright of his offspring as heaven's bounties of light and air the state not only commands that the means of education shall be provided for all but she denounces penalties against all individuals and all towns and cities however populous or powerful they may be that shall presume to stand between her bounty and its recipients in her righteous code the interception of knowledge is a crime and if parents are unable to supply their children with books she becomes apparent and supplies them the policy of the state promotes not only secular but religious instruction yet in such a way as leaves to every individual the right of private judgment and the sacred freedom of conscience public sentiment exceeds and excels the law annually vast sums are given for elemucionary and charitable purposes to promote the cause of temperance to send the gospel to the heathen to diffuse the doctrines of peace which are the doctrines of the prince of peace for public free education alone including the direct outlay of money and the interest on capital invested massachusetts expends annually more than a million of dollars to support religious institutions for the worship of god and the salvation of men she annually expends more than another million and what she gives away in the various forms of charity far exceeds a third sum of equal magnitude she explores the world for new objects of beneficence and so deep and common is the feeling which expects and prompts all this that she is gradually changing and ennobling the definition of a cardinal word in the language of morals doing what no king or court with all their authority nor royal academy with all its sages and literary men can do she is changing the meaning of charity into duty for the support of the poor nine-tenths of whose cost originate with foreigners or come from one prolific vice whose last convulsive energies she is now struggling to subdue she annually pays more than three hundred thousand dollars for the support and improvement of public highways she pays a much larger sum and within the last dozen or fourteen years she has invested a capital in railroads within and without the state of nearly or quite sixty millions of dollars whence come her means to give each returning year more than a million of dollars to public education more than another million to religion more than a third to ameliorate and succour the afflicted and the ignorant at home and to bless in distant lands those who sit in the region and shadow of death? How does she support her poor, maintain her public ways, and contribute such vast sums for purposes of internal improvement, besides maintaining her immense commercial transactions with every zone in the world? Has she a vast domain? Her whole territory would not make a courtyard of respectable dimensions to stand in front of many of the States and territories belonging to the Union does she draw revenues from conquered provinces or subjugated realms she conquers nothing she subdues nothing save the great elemental forces of nature which god gives freely whenever and wherever they are asked for in the language of genius and science and in regard to which no profusion or prodigality to one can diminish the bounty always ready for others does she live by the toil of a race of serfs and vassals whom she holds in personal and hereditary bondage, by one comprehensive and sovereign act of violence, seizing upon both body and soul at once, and superseding the thousand acts of plunder which make up the life of a common robber? Every man who treads her sacred soil is free, all are free alike and within her borders for any purpose connected with human slavery iron will not be welded into a fetter has she rich mines of precious metals in all her coffers there is not a drachma of silver or of gold which has not been obtained by the sweat of her brow or the vigor of her brain has she magazines of mineral wealth embedded in her earth or are her soil and climate so spontaneously exuberant that she reaps luxuriant harvests from uncultivated fields alas the orator has barbed his satire by declaring her only natural productions to be granite and ice whence then i ask again comes her wealth i do not mean the gorgeous wealth which is displayed in the voluptuous and too often enervating residences of the affluent but that golden mean of property such as agor asked for in his perfect prayer which carries blessings in its train to thousands of householders which spreads solid comfort and competence through the dwellings of the land which furnishes the means of instruction of social pleasures and refinement to the citizens at large which saves from the cruel sufferings and the more cruel temptations of penury the families scattered over her hills and along her valleys have not merely a shelter from the inclemencies of the seasons but the sanctuary of a home not only food but books are spread upon their tables her commonest houses have the means of hospitality they have appliances for sickness and resources laid up against accident and the infirmities of age whether in her rural districts or her populous towns a wandering native-born beggar is a prodigy and the twelve millions of dollars deposited in her savings institutions do not more loudly proclaim the frugality and providence of the past than they foretell the competence and enjoyments of the future one copious exhaustless fountain supplies all this abundance it is education the intellectual moral and religious education of the people Having no other minds to work, Massachusetts has mined into the human intellect, and from its limitless resources she has won more sustaining and enduring prosperity and happiness than if she had been founded upon a stratification of silver and gold, reaching deeper down than geology has yet penetrated. From her high religious convictions she has learned that great lesson, to set a value upon time— regarding the faculties as a gift of god she has felt bound both to use and to improve them mingling skill and intelligence with the daily occupations of life she has made labour honourable and as a necessary consequence idleness is disgraceful knowledge has been the ambition of her sons and she has reverenced and venerated the purity and chastity of her matrons and her daughters at the hearthstone at the family table and at the family altar on all those occasions where the structure of youthful character is builded up these sentiments of love for knowledge and of reverence for maidenly virtue have been builded in and where they stand so wrought and mingled with the fibres of being that none but god can tell which is nature and which is education which we owe primarily to the grace of heaven and which to the cooperating wisdom of the institutions of men verily not as we ought have we obeyed the laws of jehovah or imitated the divine example of the saviour and yet for such imperfect obedience and distant imitation as we have rendered god has showered down manna from the heavens and opened a rock whence flow living waters to gladden every thirsty place he who studies the present or the historic character of massachusetts will see and he who studies it most profoundly will see most clearly that whatever of abundance of intelligence or of integrity whatever of character at home or of renown abroad she may possess all has been evolved from the enlightened and at least partially christianized mind not of a few but of the great masses of her people they are not the result of outward riches or art brought around it or laminated over it but of an awakened inward force working energetically outwards and fashioning the most intractable circumstances to the dominion of its own desires and resolves and this force has been awakened and its unspent energies replenished more than from all things else by her common schools when we witness the mighty achievements of art the locomotive taking up its burden of a hundred tons and transporting it for hundreds of miles between the rising and the setting sun the steamboat cleaving its rapid way triumphant over wind and tide the power loom yielding products of greater richness and abundance in a single day than all the inhabitants of tyre could have manufactured in years the printing press which could have replaced the alexandrian library within a week after it was burnt the lightning not only domesticated in the laboratories of the useful arts but employed as a messenger between distant cities and galleries of beautiful paintings quickened into life by the sunbeams when we see all these marvels of power and of celerity we are prone to conclude that it is to them we are indebted for the increase of our wealth and for the progress of our society but were there any statistics to show the aggregate value of all the thrifty and gainful habits of the people at large the greater productiveness of the educated than of the brutified laborer the increased power of the intelligent hand and the broad survey and deep intuition of the intelligent eye could we see a ledger account of the profits which come from forethought order and system as they preside over all our farms in all our workshops and emphatically in all the labours of our households we should then know how rapidly their gathered units swell into millions upon millions the skill that strikes the nail's head instead of the finger's ends the care that mends a fence and saves a cornfield that drives a horseshoe nail and secures both rider and horse that extinguishes a light and saves a house the prudence that cuts the coat according to the cloth that lays by something for a rainy day and that postpones marriage until reasonably sure of a livelihood the forethought that sees the end from the beginning and reaches it by the direct route of an hour instead of the circuitous gropings of a day the exact remembrance impressed upon childhood to do the errand as it was bidden, and more than all the economy of virtue over vice, of restrained over pampered desires. These things are not set down in works on political economy, but they have far more to do with the wealth of nations than any laws which aim to regulate the balance of trade, or any speculations on capital and labor, or any of the great achievements of art." that vast variety of ways in which an intelligent people surpass a stupid one and an exemplary people an immoral one has infinitely more to do with the well-being of a nation than soil or climate or even than government itself excepting so far as government may prove to be the patron of intelligence and virtue from her earliest colonial history the policy of massachusetts has been to develop the minds of all her people and to imbue them with the principles of duty to do this work most effectually she has begun it with the young if she would continue to mount higher and higher toward the summit of prosperity she must continue the means by which her present elevation has been gained in doing this she will not only exercise the noblest prerogative of government but will cooperate with the almighty in one of his sublimest works the greek rhetorician longinus quotes from the mosaic account of the creation what he calls the sublimest passage ever uttered god said let there be light and there was light from the centre of black immensity effulgence burst forth above beneath on every side its radiance streamed out silent yet making each spot in the vast concave brighter than the line which the lightning pencils upon the midnight cloud darkness fled as the swift beams spread onward and outward in an unending circumfusion of splendour onward and outward still they move to this day glorifying through wider and wider regions of space the infinite author from whose power and beneficence they sprang but not only in the beginning when god created the heavens and the earth did he say let there be light whenever a human soul is born into the world its creator stands over it and again pronounces the same sublime words let there be light magnificent indeed was the material creation when suddenly blazing forth in mid-space the new-born sun dispelled the darkness of the ancient night but infinitely more magnificent is it when the human soul rays forth its subtler and swifter beams when the light of the senses irradiates all outward things revealing the beauty of their colors and the exquisite symmetry of their proportions and forms when the light of reason penetrates to their invisible properties and laws and displays all those hidden relations that make up all the sciences when the light of conscience illuminates the moral world separating truth from error and virtue from vice the light of the newly kindled sun indeed was glorious it struck upon all the planets and waked into existence their myriad capacities of life and joy as it rebounded from them it showed their vast orbs all wheeling circle beyond circle in their stupendous courses the sons of god shouted for joy that light sped onward beyond sirius beyond the pole star beyond orion and the pleiades and is still speeding onward into the abysses of space but the light of the human soul flies swifter than the light of the sun and outshines its meridian blaze it can embrace not only the sun of our system but all suns and galaxies of suns ay the soul is capable of knowing and of enjoying him who created the suns themselves and when these starry lustres that now glorify the firmament shall wax dim and fade away like a wasted taper the light of the soul shall still remain nor time nor cloud nor any power but its own perversity shall ever quench its brightness again i would say that whenever a human soul is born into the world God stands over it and pronounces the same sublime fiat: "Let there be light," and may the time soon come when all human governments shall cooperate with the divine government in carrying this benediction and baptism into fulfilment. End of section forty-one. Recording by Maria Casper.